And uh, the board decided to say no to taking in this 18 million euros because of too low valuation. And we worked like months to secure these uh, term sheets. And um, we uh, it would fully finance the expansion of the project. And we needed 25 million euros to make this expansion. Then we, uh, the, the mistake was that we, uh, we said no, or the, the board uh, said no to uh, these investors. And we only had partial funding of the project, like 30 million euros. And then we continued with the project, even though all my models told me that I, I, I needed 25 million euros to continue with this. Hey, I'm Renita, and you're listening to The High EQ Founder, a podcast about leveraging the power of emotional intelligence so you can evolve faster and lead better. Here, I sit down with deep tech and impact-focused founders who share how they make hard decisions, extract more learning from their mistakes, and maximize their return on luck so you can do the same. Today, I'm speaking with Avard Lilbo, a Norwegian deep tech entrepreneur who's raised over 140 million euros in funding, scaled multiple businesses and had two exits. Here we go. So I want to tee up this conversation by saying you are to me the epitome of a serial entrepreneur. I mean, you launched your first startup, an IT advertising startup, some 20 years ago in 2002. Yep. And then from there, you went uh, towards deep tech, doing solar energy, clean energy. And from what I can gather, just sort of doing all sorts of things like uh, robotics, 3D. Curious to know the backstory. Like, how did you even get into entrepreneurship? Is that how you thought about it? Or was this just something you had to do? So my father was an IT entrepreneur. Okay. And and from early childhood he he always gave these sort of challenges and and how to stretch, how to grow and as like, well, how can you think about this in in a different way? How can you make this possible? Well, it's not sort of possible now, but it doesn't mean that it's not possible tomorrow. You, you can you can change <sighs> tomorrow. And uh and I I uh, well that's a sort of valuable gift uh, when it comes to mindset because I didn't realize at the time, of course, because I, this is sort of my family was my world in the start. Yeah. But the way you're trained, um, of course, uh, forms your mindset. And once you get out there and you, you realize, well, this is actually not the typical way to think about things. Uh, it's quite a contrary, actually. Like people, people see challenges, they see obstacles, they, they, they accept things as they are. And, and in my world, it's like I'm seeing so many opportunities because... I can see that future well. I can see a better way to do things. And those kind of things get me actually excited. So that's interesting. It's kind of um, a take on the fish swimming in water. You were just swimming in this pool of just growth mind mm. mindset that you didn't yep. even realize wasn't so common. And so you, you were just so conditioned to be looking for solutions and ways to do things better, it sounds like. Yeah, and, and your environment is, is super important, of course, in, in how yeah. forming your mindset. And, and uh, it takes some years to kind of realize sort of the value of all of this. But, uh, of course, getting a uh. head start here is, uh, is extremely valuable. 
and and then you make all these mistakes and you learn fast and as you say this growth mindset is kind of you 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 don't have to sort of make a pivotal change like when you're 20 or 25 or 30 or 40 you, you kind of have this mindset from the early days and uh, and i discovered sort of super early that uh, a lot of the things uh, are possible to change and you can achieve these things you don't have to be the smartest around you if you put a lot mm. of work in you, you can actually achieve a lot of things just because you're passionate about it or you want to be to to do this and you believe that it's possible so you're already looking for solutions and, and without you, you resisting by, by all your own actions you see that you can actually make a change you can make these things possible things that people uh. say are impossible uh you can make them possible and i i have one That's story that that is kind of very illustrative of of this uh, from my own experience Please. and this is when i i went to the us uh, in 9899 and to high school um mm -hmm. and it wasn't approved in the norwegian system and my dad said to me um well why don't you uh, apply on under special circumstances to get uh, accepted to um, to the master degree in in business because this is what i wanted to do and i was like yeah but i don't mm -hmm. have the exams how should i do that and he's like well talk to the principal and, and ask if it's possible I was like, yeah, sure, of course. There's no downside to this. The worst thing you can get is no, which leaves you in exactly the same place as you are right now. Right. So I called the principal, and uh, and he really liked my story, and and it ended up in accepting me into the business school with no exams from from high school, from the third year. Wow. It's like, well, it's completely possible. Uh, yeah. And if you don't try, of course, it's not possible. <laughs> so that's right. the irony of this. Yeah, what a gift your father, your parents gave you in just sort of instilling that with you, instilling that mindset in you. Hmm. Um, so maybe you can choose uh, one decision, an important decision in the growth of a startup and share with us, you know, your thought process in making it. So I, I can take one, um, when I was 28 years old, I um, mm -hmm. founded my uh, my second company actually, Inotech Solar. Uh, and mm -hmm. when you're uh, on the start, this was like a venture-backed company. Uh, I founded. I had two okay. co-founders with me, and uh, I was obviously the the founder. And and uh, uh, when you start off on a journey like this, and you want to invest a, a lot of well, millions of euros and, and build a, a successful company. You you need a really good uh, and experienced team around yourself. And there was this question from the chairman of the board, who was a very seasoned venture capitalist. Uh, um, if we could bring on board a, a new chairman with sort of a relevant experience from the industry. And and I my, my immediate gut feeling and reaction was, why don't we hire him as CEO instead? And the, the venture capitalist was uh, struck by by a mystery. It's like because uh, founders never give. That's away. not what most founders say. No, they never give <laughs> away their sort of top position. And this was like uh, literally two months after we, we founded the company and got it funded. And it's like, wow. how how can you do this? Uh, what's uh, what's your thought process behind this, Hobart? Uh, and I was like, well, if anyone's asked me to to become this man's uh, right hand in in uh, the previous position, which was in a stock-listed company, that was like that would be like completely impossible. And here I had this uh, because I was like twenty-eight years old. Come on, <laughs> uh, 
And here I have this position and possibility to to actually recreate exactly this uh, setting where I could uh, work with, with with someone I really admired and looked up to, and uh, and he could take on sort of the the CEO responsibility and. He 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 had managed like a 500 million euro um, business before, and well, why why would that be a step down for me? Come on, that that was actually a, a huge step up. Wow, and that takes a lot of humility. And and well, and this is clearly not sort of the ordinary way that founders uh, sort of just give away the top position after two uh, two three months. Uh, but uh, for me, it was uh, it was uh, um, yeah, kind of the natural thing to do, and. I I worked together with uh, this this man for uh, for uh, several years after, and we built a 180 uh, employee company, uh, 35 million euro revenues, uh, multiple factories, and scaled. Uh, and yeah, really worked well together. So uh, it was. Uh, so it, it's kind of a unusual, but for me, it was like so obvious to just follow your guts on this and and actually do this. Uh-huh. So you're saying that before you were working with this man at your previous company, a solar energy company, where you wouldn't have been able to be his right hand person yep. because of just the hierarchy of the company. Yep. But now you were in a position to hire this person with such a wealth of experience. And you knew that the level of learning you would get would be way more yep. than if you stayed in the, in the CEO position. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That took a lot of... Uh, just clarity and humility to see that opportunity, though. Yeah, and and uh, this is uh, well, this is also what you, if if you have sort of the the, um, I I don't have a, a huge ego. I have a lot of passion, mm-hmm. but I don't have a, a huge mm-hmm. ego. And I think for for me, it's super important to assemble the right team that is able to make uh, these uh, startups uh, success. And and I think the the right mentality sh- should not be a sort of egocentric mental- mentality. Mm. You need a team yeah, mentality. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, this is kind of it, it. It relates back to my master thesis actually uh, that I wrote about Nor- Norwegian successful entrepreneurs and what do the best ones do better than everyone else. And uh, one of the the successful entrepreneurs there told me that uh, you. That the five first hirings in a company will make or break mm-hmm. the company. If you get really good people in the first uh, five hirings, then you're and and these are not the the, the guys who brag about themselves and and uh, palm on their chest, you know, and look at me. These are humble guys, but they are doers. Uh, and yeah. with this man, I, I I knew he was a big doer, and I've been working with him before, so it was kind of very easy to make this decision. Um, right. Well, it's such an interesting setup, the way it had panned out, because you had actually worked together and you knew what it would be like to be with him. Yeah, and that's um, always the, the easiest to kind of recruit people that you worked with before, because then, yeah. then you, you, you know how, uh, how it is to work with these guys. It's, uh, it's um, when, once you've made a few mistakes on the recruitment side... <laughs> And I have certainly made uh, several mistakes uh, on, on there. You, you have a lot of um, sure. humility also for the recruitment process because uh, everyone can put up a glossy image of, of or a sort of a good CV and it looks great. But how it is is it actually to work with these persons over time? And uh, once you work yeah. with someone in the past, you know exactly how it is to do that. Yeah. 
And I like the distinction you make between the chest thumpers who are very uh, uh, vocal about what they think and, and want to do yeah. and those who can actually just get down to business and do it. Yeah. Um, so maybe from there then we can talk about a lesson, a valuable lesson that you've learned or you know, even a mistake that's given you valuable learning in, in one of your, your, your startups. Yeah, there's so many mistakes. <laughs> I bet. But uh, mistakes are, well, I, I only call them sort of a mistake if you don't learn from them. And uh, yeah, for me, me these too. are actually me too. very invaluable gifts uh, that I take along with my ah. journey now. And uh, one, one of the stories I could tell is that we, we had a term sheet with two investors for uh, uh, for 18 million euros. Uh, and these were like operated mm -hmm. investors in, in the EU. Um, and uh, the board decided to say no to taking in this 18 million euros because of too low valuation. And we worked like months to secure these uh, term sheets. And uh, I was really furious, actually, <laughs> uh, because I this would sort of taken us to the next step. And um, we uh, it would fully finance the expansion of the project, and we needed 25 million euros to make this expansion. Then we uh, the, the mistake was that we uh, we said no, or the the board uh, said no to uh, these investors, and we only had partial funding of the project, like 30 million euros. And then we continued with the project, even though all my models told me that I I, I needed 25 million euros to continue with this. Then. What kind of what kind of project this was it? Was like Can a you factory share? Expansion, uh, building a factory in, yeah. in Germany. So something very physical yeah. and capital intensive. Yes. Uh, so the, it was a extent, uh, the, the the second factory in Inotech, um, and um, so we continued with the, the or, or kicked off the factory building, uh, yet not having mm. everything financed, uh, and then sort of with the belief that we will figure out the finance in the next uh, six to nine months. Get the mm -hmm. market uh, went sour. Uh, it uh, turned out to be very difficult to raise funding, um, uh -huh. and it started a very negative spiral. Uh, where, uh, well, obviously, if, we, if you sort of lose uh, the working capital, uh, things get really, <laughs> really challenging. So I went. Uh, we went sort of from having a very good offer on on the table to going into this negative liquidity spiral. Uh, where you're uh -huh. strapped for cash, and then the market uh, was uh, turning uh, quite bad, also, and it's sort of negativity after negativity. So I kind of used to say that I, I have a master in liquidity management because we had like daily liquidity planning for a group of 180 people because we needed oh, to wow. make ends meet, and it was just extremely difficult. Uh, mm -hmm. So. Um, I have a lot of respect for liquidity planning <laughs> and don't make uh, any such decisions when you know you're undercapitalized. Uh, like you should, you should stop and say, uh, sorry, we need the, the, the project fully financed. Um, so is that the main learning you took from that? Because it sounds like you could have also have taken the 18 million even at that valuation. Was that oh, part of the learning we, we also? We should have taken that. And that would have completely changed the game for, for Innotech. Uh, this would... Uh, Mm -hmm. We would get two uh, two big investors in with deep po pockets with the international network, and well, okay, the, it didn't it didn't happen this way, but uh, it it was right. Definitely, That's total hindsight. Definitely yeah. a big mistake with it. 
Um, so, and then following that, you started the project, even though you didn't have it's a fully totally capitalized. It's a mistake. It's kind of it was a cascade. <laughs> First, we don't, yeah. didn't accept the investors, and second, we, we started the project without oh, having boy. things funded. And and those yeah. two mis- mistakes in combination uh, was sort of the, the the changing moment for uh, for Innotech. From from there, it went uh, downhill. What was your mindset in going ahead with the project? Was this, is this kind of over optimism, or how do you look when you look back? How do you see it with more objective eyes? Well, the, the investors uh, were very confident that we're going to uh, to uh, raise the funding. Ah, uh, okay, at the higher valuation. Yeah, at a higher valuation, and but uh, when it comes to funding, it's always the founders uh, and the management who's in the position to to uh to fix funding uh and and maybe at the time i thought that uh well if they are leaning they're saying no to this they must be able to actually give us some some funding or they they have figure out this uh, in some way Uh, right um, nope (laughs) that wasn't the case so we knew this was a mistake uh, but uh, we kind of made this the mistake ourselves that we actually went forward with investment without having things uh-huh. funded. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a different environment at the time. You can't take uh, the knowledge that you have now looking back and saying, oh, we should have made a different decision because it was a different economy as well, it sounds like. Well, and this is why I think it's a, it's actually a, a, a huge gift uh, because... Mm. Um, Tell today, me about that. Today, I, uh, I'm very focused on liquidity management. <laughs> Very uh-huh. and it's like P and L and balance sheets and everything. It it almost doesn't matter in in startups. It's all about how you manage liquidity. It's liquidity that kills probably ninety five percent of startups because they don't know how to manage that and they don't they don't have control and they don't know when they're running out of money. They don't have for uh, predict uh, predictability or like forecast models. Now, now, obviously, having been a CFO for like about 10 years, uh, I'm very sort of biased uh, on, on sort of uh, the, the, the cash side. But it's also because I've actually learned uh, this really hard way that uh, you have to watch the, the cash side. And, and if you have like two, three months, uh, it's possible to, to raise capital. If you, if you have like two to four weeks, it's completely impossible because no one is, is willing to, to fund you in this short time uh, because they have their processes mm-hmm. and you, you can't shortcut these processes unless you are willing to accept like a really bad evaluation. So as right. a founder, you, you, you need to sort of understand the, the road ahead in the next uh, at least six to 12 months and uh, sort of strategically manage the, the, the funding and the cash side to, uh, to yeah. be able to be in control of your own startup. If not, and it sounds like not be overly optimistic about what you'll be able to do, even if you don't have visibility into that. And this is the founder's problem, I think. And this is my yeah. problem because I'm very optimistic yeah, as a person. I, you have to be to, in order to believe into a, in in a better future. Uh, and right. uh, but you need also in when it comes to cash flow control, you you actually need to to know what is actually coming in and what is definitely going out. Um, yeah. And that is sort of the basis of the model. So everything that is secure is fine. Everything that is wishful thinking uh, has to be outside of the model. So uh, go yeah. secure those things, and and, uh, and that's how you kind of balance this optimism bias. You 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 always just work with what is 
known and, and, and secured things. And then you then you get the date. When, when are you running out of cash? Uh, and that's your lifeline. You have to manage that lifeline. Uh, and you have to be ahead. If not, you, you end up with 1% of your company. And uh, right. it's so important right. for founders. Yeah, I see that. It's that fine balance between being very uh, excited about the vision for the future, but also looking at the hard realities of your numbers yep. and your cash flow and, and the physical aspects. Yeah, and, and also <laughs> it's actually very important for your ownership in the startup because it doesn't help if mm-hmm. you're going to be a huge success if you own like 1% of it. Right. So, so you, as, as sort of a, a key stakeholder, uh, for your own stake, you, you actually need to watch this extremely carefully because y- yeah. the, the investors have uh, the pockets. They can invest more. But you as a founder, you usually never have the, these type of pockets. So, so uh, the consequences of uh, uh, when it comes to dilution and, and valuation, it, it hits you the most because you can't follow up with investment. Right, right. So you as a founder really need to take responsibility for that instead of relying on others. Yep. So the most successful founders aren't the ones who get the best luck or the most luck or the least bad luck. They're the ones who get the best return on luck. And so I'm guessing you have a lot of these kinds of stories, but um, what's one that comes to mind about how you, uh, some event that happened and how you made the most of it? Maybe how you saw it as a gift uh, sooner rather than later. Well, uh, in uh, this is also quite early in my um, so when I was like twenty two years old, I read this book, uh, "Great by Choice," by Jim mm-hmm. Collins, uh, and Jim Collins, yeah, and uh, it's actually it's actually a really good book, um, and they 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 studied luck actually scientifically. Uh, exactly. Did the successful one have more luck than the others? And as you kind of point out, uh, no, they, they actually didn't. But they were more prepared when the luck stroke to be able to exploit the luck um, than those who, uh, who, who kind of failed. So I think that yeah. this sort of many people become lucky. But if you don't sort of if you don't turn that luck into something meaningful and, and actionable, then uh, then you kind of miss the opportunity. So I think uh, this is uh, this can be sort of one investor you're meeting or you're sitting next to, to someone on a conference uh, and they turn up to be this super investor or you, you meet these uh, brilliant people and, and you can spot their, their potential like, like I typically do a lot uh, when I meet some of these uh, brilliant minds. And and it's so kind of once you recognize that these are super interesting people that you actually kind of want to work with, then uh, then um, how can you kind of put that into motion in in some way? And uh, for me, this has happened now, uh, yeah, many times. And I, I even yeah. say that this is like you, uh, yeah, finding or identifying brilliant people and finding worthy problems to solve together with them is kind of my mantra. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, so, so, are you lucky when you meet some of these people? Yes, but of course, to an extent, you can also put in place some strategies to increase your luck. <laughs> like you can, you can yeah. be active on LinkedIn. You can have a personal brand. 
uh, you can reach out to to a lot of people, even even though you know that uh, most of them you will never actually interact with. But some of them may find what you're doing interesting, or they 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 may need that partner, or they they see the craziness <laughs> in in what you're doing, or you know there's so many factors that you don't have control over. Um, and then you, in aftermath, you can say that well that that was uh, pure luck. But of course, if you have a strategy for being lucky, well, are you lucky then, or are you smart? I don't know. Is there anyone that comes to mind that just kind of crystallizes this optimizing for serendipity idea? Yeah. So, uh, yes, like my life, there's a lot of serendipity actually. Yeah. Uh, and uh, um, earlier this year, I had a meeting with uh, like a, a LinkedIn connection. And, I, and okay. I kind of like to have a a meeting a week, sort of, with new people to, you know, to meet. Right. You never... Well, that's how we met. Yeah, exactly. When you reached out to me. <laughs> exactly. And uh, and uh, we were talking about sort of uh, what uh, what I was doing and what he was doing, and and all of a sudden it just turned out that he had a super interesting background for one of my projects, mm. like like the best you could actually imagine. Wow. And and uh-huh. uh, and I was like. Serendipity. I was like, you can't even plan that. How right? Can you? Well, I, and I like when I reached out to him on LinkedIn, I had no idea I had this background. Like he was doing this this project, but um, uh, it 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 was like the, completely the best possible partner for one of my projects that that it was available. And we started to talk about uh-huh. this uh, this uh, project, and he got of course super excited about this new technology and. Now today we're working together on uh, on on realizing this uh, technology, and th- this is one of the startups I haven't actually sort of talked a lot about uh, publicly yet. Uh, but great things are in the making. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's been sort of a long term strategy now to to meet interesting people with this kind of mindset where they want to change things, they want to to create this uh, future. And well, then is it serendipity or is it uh, kind of luck or what is it i don't know <laughs> yeah but you you meet some of these people and you just get fascinated with, with the, well how how interesting backgrounds they have or or what the stuff they've been doing or or uh, yeah there's so many interesting things and all of a sudden it plays out in a in a kind of a, in a perfect play yeah well, I think we we have the same approach because for me, whenever I'm reading someone's profile, I'm looking for clues. Mm. And as soon as I see a clue, even if it doesn't seem to make sense or have some linear connection to what I'm doing, like you weren't looking for someone to fill this role in your project. Mm. But I think just we, we start to develop this pattern recognition and this uh, uh, intuition as to who to reach out to. Yeah. And... Uh... But but sometimes like this this was like uh, in in aftermath it's it's like well it was pure luck or was it meant to be who knows <laughs> yeah. but uh, it's it's kind of a, doesn't matter no, well it, well <laughs> as long as you're open to uh, and and you kind of increase your chances for luck I think uh, and for me that is a lot about sort of finding these uh, right people. That, with the right mindset and and kind of building your your ecosystem with the right type of voices because mm-hmm. that is definitely increasing your chance of luck um yeah. uh, right well i think we see that with the founders who are successful because they're the ones who have some intention around creating these opportunities they're not just sitting back and waiting for things to happen 
Yeah, and is and there... also I think it's a very important uh, as an uh, uh, obligation almost for us as uh, we have been in this ah. game for like well me more than twenty years now, and it, I think right. it, you have to pay it forward. You, you uh, mm. to to let others partake in your insights and experiences and and this is what I try to do on LinkedIn to share some of my thoughts and experience. You do, and it resonates with people. And this is also kind of how you find your own ecosystem and and uh, find the right people you want to to interact with and talk with. And what kind of voices do you expose yourself to? Well, I certainly want to expose myself to these type of voices. Yeah. Well, you've created your own ecosystem. Yep. Basically. <laughs> yep. Um, do you have any final words of, you know, uh, anything you'd like to share with founders just that might just help them how they, how they frame their problems or their decisions or their, or their journey, if they're, they might be earlier in their journey than you are? Well, I... For me, it's especially uh, with deep tech. You yeah. know, the deep tech founders who have such a a big challenge. It's what's very important to me is to validate your assumptions, and mm-hmm. this goes back to your own biases. Actually, in your brain, you're, you you have all we all have all these biases, and for me, it's super important to validate these biases. So, so kind of list them out very quickly. Why am I so getting so excited about this uh, or that project? And can I actually validate? Is, is this actually true or is it a fantasy? And uh, if you go very quickly into this, uh, this validation mode, you can, first of all, you get a lot of good feedback or in, invaluable feedback um, mm. with respect to is this a worthy problem actually to, to really be solving? And if you, you get a lot of yeses on that, then, then you kind of build the momentum and you build the confidence and the trust in, in what you're doing. Uh, versus if you get a lot of negative feedback and you talk to the best people in the world uh, and they say, nah, this is kind of stupid because uh, XYZ is already doing this. Well, then you kind of, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't uh, the, the right thing to be doing. So like talking to people is uh, very central for me when I do uh, these startups. And uh, and being aware of my own biases is actually extremely important. Hmm. Okay. So there's the humility coming back in. So you might have this big vision and this excitement and passion about your idea, yeah. but you're still open to getting that feedback and taking and it this, in. This sort of humility and passion is kind of maybe a maybe a rare combination. But I think you need the, the more you know. I think so. The, the less you 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 actually know, <laughs> or the more you realize right. you actually don't know. Huh? And uh, right, I think it's right. very important to have this humility with you on this uh, this journey. And uh, oh, I agree. Thank you for for role modeling that <laughs> for us, Alard. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the High EQ Founder. If you enjoyed this conversation, why not share it with a fellow founder? And if you want more strategies for leveling up as a leader, hop onto the mailing list for my High EQ Founder newsletter link in the show notes. Until next time, remember, whoever evolves faster wins.